0: rewind your week in review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes businesses and neighborhoods the Wisconsin Realtors Association the voice of real estate this program is brought to you from the Margaret Farrell studio
1: This week on Rewind, your week in review, we take a look at which lawmakers were elected to leadership positions in both chambers to kick off a new legislative session, and the drama unfolding a week after Assembly Republicans held their caucus. Plus, Governor Evers and GOP leaders both want tax cuts, but can they come to a compromise? And former President Donald Trump's impact on the midterm elections as he announces his bid for 2024. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for November 18. Oh, mm-hmm. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin.
0: And I'm J.R. Ross.
1: Jarrett, as we finish the election, now we are looking ahead to the next legislative mm-hmm. session. And with that comes with new leadership appointments, of course, as we have now a lot of new members um, heading into the state legislature. Let's first just start, take a look at the Senate. Not too many changes uh, on the Republican side, as you can see. Of course, Senator uh, Devin Lemahue is still going to be Senate Majority Leader. Same with Patrick Teston. He's keeping his post. Senator Van, Van Wangard, Chris Kampka, is still Senate President. Democrats, of course, a lot of changes. We kind of teased this last week because their majority is much slimmer. And it's almost in a sense that almost all of them, not all, but most Mm. Democrats in the Senate are in some type of leadership post. Um, Senator Melissa Agard uh, was unanimously elected as the new Senate Minority Leader after Senator Janet Bewley is retiring at the end of this year. Then you have Senator Chris Larson as Minority Caucus Chair, Jeff Smith in leadership, and also Senate Elect Diane Hesselbein will become the new Minority Caucus Vice Chair. She is coming over from the Assembly, who also held a leadership post, so now coming over to the Senate. Um, let's just take a listen from Senator Agard uh, kind of making her pitch and her speech to her colleagues, and then we'll kind of dive into this. We might hold the minority of the seats in the State House, but I know that we hold the majority of the hearts and minds of the people across the state of Wisconsin. It's imperative that we in this room are unapologetic about what it is that we value and work for as progressives in Wisconsin. And we are gonna hold those values and morals close to our hearts in the work that we are doing, not only in our districts, but all across the state of Wisconsin and in this building. JR, you were in the room for these leadership Mm -hmm. elections. What were some of your takeaways?
0: Uh, This is the most boring leadership campaign I've ever covered my years in the Capitol. And no, part of it is because there weren't any surprises on election night, right? I mean, there Mm -hmm. were some things you went, oh, I was expecting that. But when it comes to like the dynamic in both houses, Republicans in the Senate got to two-thirds majority. We expected that. Uh, The Democrats expected to come back in a super-minority, if you want to call it that. In the Assembly, Republicans lose an uphill battle to get to 66 seats. They gained seats. You're not going to punish Robin Voss for gaining seats. He only fell short of two-thirds. The Assembly leadership, all the same. Um, So it wasn't really any drama. Usually you see, like, when lawmakers are disappointed in what happens, the kind of knives come out and right. start like kind of tearing each other apart and then there are challenges. But here, Melissa Agard, for example, in the Senate, she has played a more prominent role with the leadership of uh, the campaign cycle than you might otherwise as her past role, this session's caucus thing as vice chair this, this session. Um, she and Kelda Roys of Madison were both kind of like teamed up to lead the fundraising arm of the Senate Democrats it was a sign of these or two people are gonna have a role in the next session. So with Kelda, one thing people are watching is we'll go- join the Joint Finance Committee, right? Uh, because again, as you kind of mentioned, there are 11 members in the caucus, there are four in leadership and two on finance. That means more than half of the caucus will be in leadership in some way, shape, or perform the session. That's unheard of. But also, it's, it's Agard's challenge now to lead them out of the super minority and try and get back to relevance. Um, I'm looking forward to the certification of the votes from uh, last week, so we can see the Election Commission breakdown of district by district. I want to see how it, what seats he won. Um, that'll give us a map for 2024 of what uh, Senate seats might be competitive. Remember, this is the first test drive of this new map put in place by the drawn by Republicans, blessed by the Supreme Court. That'll give us an idea of where are the real competitive seats. The Assembly is different. Obviously, you get every seat challenged. We don't, haven't seen the breakdown yet of like what's on the Senate, so I'm watching that. Um, but there's gonna be a new, there is, in both caucuses, this Democratic caucuses, this new generation of leaders coming up much younger than their predecessors. Um, this Assembly Democratic caucus is quite young for leadership, got a new Bauer took over in January, became the youngest leader of a caucus since 1940, I think it is, in um, the Wisconsin legislature. But their challenge is they're young, they're smart, they're not very experienced, They have to figure out how to get out of these numbers and get back to relevance in rural Wisconsin to change the dynamic with the maps that they have.
1: One moment that did happen in the Senate Democrats caucus when they were electing leaders, we saw outgoing Senate Minority Leader Janet Buley address something that happened not too long ago when she got in a deadly car crash. Uh, Senator Buley spoke out really for the first time after she was involved in this crash that killed a 27-year-old woman and her 5-year-old daughter. That car that she collided with was driving at 100 miles per hour at the time. This occurred in Ashland on July 22nd. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel first reported about this because they actually had an intern on the phone with Buley when this incident happened. I mean there was a lot of speculation of what occurred. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had cataract surgery but now we are learning more details about how fast the car was going and you know I think we've talked about this before maybe on the show um, because this did happen a while ago uh, over the summer that if she was still seeking re-election this probably would Mm -hmm. have been a really big issue but of course it's not. Let's just take a listen um, from her addressing this in the caucus. As much as when uh, I was elected along with Senator Ringhand and some others in this room in 2010, we had no idea what we were getting into at the time. No way we could have predicted uh, COVID. No way I could have predicted the accident that I was involved in. All of you were wonderful. And I found in your care what I needed we don't know what the future is but i do not feel sorry for myself or for any of you that we have the hand that we have now let's move on to the assembly leadership let's bring up the slide there's gonna be a lot of faces on here but as you already said jr not too many changes in a sense no one was punished because republicans did very well democrats Not too many changes at all. Very similar makeup that we saw last January in the session. Um, Let's just hear from Greta Neubauer, of course, her dressing her caucus. And then we'll kind of talk about the drama that unfolded in Assembly Republicans' caucus that was last week. Mm -hmm. This cycle was very difficult, but we have won a hard-fought victory and prevented illegitimate, undemocratic, single-party control in Wisconsin. I've proven that I can lead our caucus through difficult times, prepare us to face formidable challenges, and continue to move us forward. We will promote a visionary, inclusive policy agenda that shows that government can and must be a force for good in Wisconsin. I believe in this caucus, and I believe in what we can achieve together, and I look forward to working with each of you to keep up the good fight. So let's now talk about a little bit of the drama that unfolded a week ago, because a lot has developed. First, I'll kind of just set the stage. You and I were camping out. You were camping out much longer outside the Assembly Republicans caucus, because it's usually our chance to talk from or to talk to um, Assembly Speaker Robin Voss about the direction they're going. At one point, we saw Representative Janelle Branchin walk out of committee, and she never returned. Now we're kind of learning why. At first, uh, we heard Kind of some rumors that she was kicked out for her election conspiracy theories. Now there is a letter that unfolded from Representative Rob Summerfield, basically saying they just lost trust in her. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of upset Branchin because she was never really told in person. Um, she originally said that she left for a family uh, event, and she's kind of sticking to that. So it really took her from surprise. Uh, let's just I'm going to read a little bit from uh, Representative Summerfield's letter to her, and it's very short. I mean, it says yes. Yesterday at our caucus, the members voted to no longer allow you to participate in closed caucus. The continual issues from the past have led our caucus to lose trust in you. For this reason, the vote was taken. Now it's important to note that Representative Janelle Branchin is an election denier. Mm-hmm. Um, she supported Assembly Speaker Robin Voss's opponent, Adam Steen, in the primary an election that Voss just barely held on uh, to winning. And this is was uh, Janelle's response pretty upset removing me from caucus will not stop the ongoing voting issues that plague our state saying she's you know not going to give up her work on that effort so jerry you kind of first learned about this letter as this developed so i guess what's what's your kind of take on how this all happened so remember
0: um closed caucus last thursday the day after jay weber a talk of Milwaukee tweeted that you know branch was basically forced to leave branch and then responds this week kind of refuting the notion that she was kicked out of caucus. And that kind of piqued my curiosity. So I was poking around asking what was going on. I was told by my sources that she wasn't kicked out of closed caucus while she was there. It was that after she left, the discussion began, okay, what are we going for because she's lost our trust. The vote was taken, my sources told me, after she left. That resulted in a letter from Summerfield that I got a hold of saying, you're no longer welcome to closed caucus. Now remember, she's not kicked out of the caucus. She's still Republican. Right. she come to open caucus, The closed caucus is a time when you discuss strategy, uh, what you're gonna do on bills, those kinds of things. And to Branchon, she wants this to be seen as a punishment for her work as campaign elections chair. To her colleagues, this is a sign of we can't trust you anymore. In this business, your word is your currency. If you can't be trusted, you can't be worked with. Um, And they just don't trust Branchon because the, the Steen campaign, she didn't just support Adam Steen, she was caught on tape that was leaked to Wisconsin right now, strategizing with Steen about his campaign. Like, there's this feeling of, okay, you went be, uh, above and beyond just supporting Boss's opponent. You were actively working to undermine the Speaker of the Assembly. There have been other incidents over the past year where Republicans felt like somebody's leaking stuff to people to are trying to undercut us. Now, anytime you have 60 people in a room or more in politics, there are gonna be leaks. Uh, you just gotta know where to look for them which is good for us in this business. It's not realistic to think that everything that happens to talk is gonna stay secret, but when you can't trust somebody to be part of the team, that's, in, in, for Republicans, that's their last straw with Janelle. Now, the question that people have is, why is she still chair? I was just committee? gonna
1: bring that up. That's the big question, if she will be sitting on the elections committee after. So,
0: we, all, we both caught Voss post-primary. He was pretty upbeat after beating back the Adam Steen Challenge, right? And asked, is Janelle gonna be, still be chair? And he'd say, stay tuned. He didn't like really come out and say her time is limited, but it was pretty clear that she was not going to be chair of that committee beyond this session. So the question is, why is she still chair right now? And what's it mean for her? Because she has a platform right now as chair to raise these election issues, right, to try and bring in people who've raised conspiracy theories about the voter rolls, to get attention, to get really attention from conservative media outlets about what she's alleging, often falsely, about the election. Well. Once the chairmanship goes away, what's the platform? Now, at the same time, she's in the good graces of Donald Trump. Like, he praises her on Twitter. Well, no, uh, what's that, like Tumblr? Tumblr. Yes, Tumblr. Um, We'll see if Twitter lasts, by the way. Um, (laughs) But Tumblr is what, you know, you'll see statements from Trump praising the great Janelle Branchon. She has an audience with him. But Trump's influence is waning right now because of the results of last week. How big a deal is Donald Trump anymore in the party either? We'll get to that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll get to that in a different slide. But. And then
0: one last note, there have been a rumor floating around that she was looking at running for Walker County Executive. Uh, Paul Farrow, uh, outgoing state party chair, is going to run again. Uh, I asked her. I caught her on the phone right before I got a hold of the letter, and she said it never crossed my mind. We shall see if that holds, but the question is what is Branson's future in the caucus in the Capitol? with all that's going on with her caucus.
1: Right, and we know Voss wants to move on. He Mm -hmm. wants to move on from the Gable investigation. I mean, he started it, didn't go so well, and he ended it. And he doesn't want this lingering questions about the 2020 election going forward. It seemed he wants to turn the page. He knows he's in for another four years of divided government, and still has to work with Governor Evers in some fashion if they want to get some accomplishments done. But he really, during that conversation we had with him last week, it seemed he's just like, let's get this over with. (laughs) And he also pushed off Donald Trump, which we will get to in a little bit about a lot of Republicans starting to distance themselves from the former, former president. Before we get to that, let's just take a look at next week, because... The Department of Administration will be submitting their request to Governor Evers on Monday of how much money they want. Uh, it's their budget request saying we want X, Y, and Z. This is how much money we need for it. Um, and speaking of that, uh, you spoke with Governor Evers on Monday as well at a different event, kind of just trying to see, well, what are you going to put in the budget? He floated uh, uh, his middle cup, middle... Middle income tax cut, which he introduced in August. He wanted to use a portion of the state surplus to pay for it. Republicans shut it down. Of course, they called it an election year gimmick. But both Republicans and Democrats want some sort of tax cut. But finding a compromise on it is going to be difficult. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Also, we uh, talked about education last week uh, in exchange where Voss said, well, if you want more money for education, let's reach a deal and you support Republicans who want to expand school choice. Evers didn't seem like there was really a way to do that. And we know expanding school choice is going to take a lot of money uh, and it's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the summary of of. Yeah, what so we know of so far Devin of what could be on the table.
0: Last week told me he wants to go toward a flatter tax. We have four tax brackets Said, so hey, maybe two. But it wants <laughs> to lower that top income tax bracket, which is 7.65%, which I think impacts married joint filers making three eighty and more or more or something like that. Um, I asked Evers, can you envision signing a, a budget that lowers a top tax rate? No. Are you open to the idea of what Robin Voss talked about of universal school of choice in exchange for funding schools. He said, I don't know what the details are. I'll look at it, but I don't know how you fully fund schools and pay for universal school choice. So that m- suggests situation uh, as is in the Capitol. This report on Monday is our first real look at the budget. It sets up so we know we've had projections of like a roughly five billion dollar surplus at the end of the biennium June 30th. This report will give us our first look at revenue projections for the next biennium, 2325. So you'll add how much we have in the kitty, or expect to at the end of June, how much we expect to bring in, then they'll weave in all the agency requests we've seen. I totaled up three point some billion dollars in new GPR requests from state agencies. Now, that means we could pay for every single thing every single agency wants and still cut taxes. I've never seen every single agency get everything it wants in a budget. Right. We know, for example, that Evers will probably do most of what DPI wants, public They, Secretary Underly and Evers jointly called for this $2 billion increase in funding for schools. Another half a billion dollars, I think, in the DPI budget that was added later on. We know that's going to happen. What else is he going to do? What tax cut is going to do? I also asked Evers, with all the money you're going to have, are you ruling out tax increases? He said no. Now he wouldn't say what taxes he'd put in the budget, but we can look back to the last one and see the big ones were we have thing called the manufacturing AG credit in Wisconsin. It's for manufacturers and farmers. Evers tried to cap the manufacturing piece of that at the first three hundred thousand dollars of income. Last budget, um, it would be a good bet he's probably trying to bring that back this budget. Republicans won't go for that. This last budget, he also tried to put a new uh, capital gains exemption, trying to change that. That might come back as well. It's not about raising the money. People will say it's about Evers' idea of what is a fair tax code, right? These things benefit the wealthy where well, we should be benefiting middle class. Uh, Republicans, not gonna go for that. The question becomes if they send him a budget that doesn't fund schools the way he wants it to and add stuff like universal school of choice, a flat tax, et cetera, would Evers veto that budget? which means we have a very long hot summer in Madison. (laughs) Can't wait,
1: right? (laughs) Just when you think we just got done with the last budget cycle, it creeps right back up on us. Um, Just want to mention too, because it happened as of this morning, uh, speaking of Evers, uh, next term. His cabinet secretaries, of course, have been very controversial. A lot of them still not appointed. One of them, the DNR secretary, Cole, is going to be stepping down. So that leaves um, a big question mark on who will fill that role. Of course, we know there's been a lot of DNR issues, especially right now with the board and Evers trying to fight to get some PFAS regulations passed. But right now, Secretary... Er, um, Dean, our chair, Prin, who was appointed by Governor Scott Walker, is refusing to leave. So a lot of PFAS and environmental issues have been a hot topic here in Wisconsin. There's
0: there's turnover. Every time a governor wins a second term, there's turnover. Um, The question is who's going to leave? How many? I mean, this place is a grind. There's often turnover with the administration. Uh, One thing you can kind of count on, though, is Maggie Gow, the chief of staff to Governor Evers, is going to stick around. She has been his trusted confidant, and she will be a constant this next term for him.
1: And we also want to mention another news tidbit this week. uh, When it's supposed to be kind of a slow week, Jr. after the election, now there's going to be a new search for the state party chair for Republicans. Um, Paul Farrow is going to be seeking re-election for a Waukesha County Board, or Waukesha County Executive, excuse me, and so he just... Announced that I'm not going to run again. Uh, there's a lot of other names on the table. As you can see, we have Brian Shimming, Ben Vokel, who was an aide to uh, Senator Ron Johnson and helped re- run his reelection campaign. Jesse Garza. Uh, right now, what the thing is, what a lot of people are telling me. And maybe people don't know, it's not a paid position. Mm-hmm. So it is a balancing act to do this and your regular job. Um, I spoke to former state party chair Andrew Hitt, and he said that's really what's been difficult for him when he decided to leave. He wasn't spending time with his family. He was juggling two jobs. So there might be some, you know, incentive to try and get the next leader. I'm hearing maybe they'll make it a paid position. Mm-hmm. It's very different across the board across uh, uh, the United States of if these chairs are paid or not. But um, that's kind of the holdup right now, and I think that's why some people have been reluctant. But there are some names out there, and these are the same people that we're both hearing about.
0: This is gonna be the fourth state party chair in less than three years for Republicans. So Brad Courtney served for eight years under Scott Walker. He was kind of Scott Walker's pick to be party chair. Walker lost in 18. State party rules for Republicans require an election for chair within 45 days of the even-numbered year November elections. There isn't much time to figure out who should lead us going forward through this post-mortem. Brad stayed on, kind of get them through that what went wrong in 18. He stepped down in the spring of 19. Andrew Hitt rose to become party chair. He steps down in July of 21 saying, this is too much. I've got too much on my plate. Paul Farrell rises to party chair. He actually had told the um, executive committee back in August, I'm not planning to seek another a full two-year term. But then most recently was asked hey, to reconsider and he told me that he decided, no, I, I can't do this. I have to focus on our election as county executive. So the question is who's going to lead them going forward and how does that person match or come close to what Democrats are doing fundraising-wise? We talked about Ben Wickler. Mm-hmm. He and Governor Evers have been a perfect marriage in terms of fundraising. You look at the reports every single time they come in, the Republican Party is, is trailing. It is a challenge. You don't have a full-time fundraising chair you don't have the governor's office to raise money as a party money is the lifeblood of any political party so is a paid position the way to try and get closer to what ben wickler can do now that may not be too much to ask again because you don't have the, the governor's office but they're not really raising money the clip they want to how do you change that especially with the 24 cycle coming up Tammy baldwin's gonna be up for election we have a presidential campaign yet again in wisconsin <laughs> You need money to, you know, run infrastructure in Wisconsin. They, they they face a tight turnaround to get things straightened out.
1: Well, don't forget the first one before all of that, Jr. is the it's state Supreme hard Court hard race. race, which we will probably dive into a lot on the show in the next coming weeks. Um, let's talk about something that we've kind of mentioned throughout this show is Trump's influence here in Wisconsin. Uh, he made his announcement that he is going to be seeking another bid for presidency in 2024, no real shocker. He was Mm -hmm. teasing it for weeks and weeks and weeks. He did it just a week after the midterm election where Republicans and Trump endorsed candidates did not do well. Prime example here was Tim Michaels. Uh, He well underperformed and I think it's catching a lot of attention from Republicans that it's now the time to move on from Donald Trump. Not everyone is on board. Um we've heard from uh former US House Speaker Paul Ryan on the radio waves. He's doing a lot of interviews, calling Trump a drag on the party. He's ready to move on from no real surprise there. Assembly speaker Robin Voss, like we said earlier in the show, he's saying let's move past this, let's go on. I'm hearing from a lot of other GOP sources they're ready to turn the page and put trump behind them Um one interesting thing uh this week though is that on monday uh... congressman uh... scott fitzgerald told the journal sentinel that yes i think it's time to move on but then yesterday he told me in that interview absolutely not so i don't know if trump gave him a phone call i mean i'm I'm teasing about that but you know it's going to be interesting to see this dynamic going forward. And from what I've talked to people, they really just want to see more prominent Republicans speaking out against Trump to try and unite the party. But I don't think everyone's there quite yet. I mean, clearly, right? Um, so that's going to be something to watch for, uh, to see who wants to keep him close and who wants to keep him a distance.
0: Where's the base? That's the challenge. So the other challenge is, even if you rally <coughs> and beat Donald Trump for the nomination, what would he do? Would he try and burn the whole place down because you didn't pick him as your nominee? Would he try and run, mount a third, third party campaign? Would he just tell supporters, don't turn out? The Republican Party is corrupt or not worth your time? We don't know. Uh, I had a number of Republicans, just like you, tell me, yeah, it's time to turn the page. And I had one tell me, yeah, I've talked to some of my high school friends, all anecdotal, but they're like, they're like you know, your normal like, base voter. They're like, yeah, it's time to turn the page. And I'm like, yeah, but what if Trump doesn't want to go? And yeah. First, like, yeah, that's a problem. If Trump doesn't want to go, that's a problem. It could be like this, could, this could be like chemotherapy for Republicans. <laughs> it could yeah. take a while right. to save the patient because Trump is a drag. Now, Trump also, though, has great pull with rural Wisconsin. Is there a way in other places, parts of the country? It, he only lost by 21,000 votes in Wisconsin in November of 2020. It's not like he got blown out. So, in a high turnout presidential environment, might he be a poll that you just find a way in the suburbs; you could pull it off. Well, we'll see. That's right. a long way away.
1: Now right, we got about five minutes left. Let's get to stock picks rising this week. As Senator Tammy Baldwin, because she she made a really big hurdle this week mm-hmm. in the Senate by uh, moving forward her bill that would codify same-sex marriage into federal law.
0: Hey, a, a big legislative win for uh, somebody who's the first openly gay member of the U.S. Senate. Um, so it's a legislative accomplishment for her. Also, even though the attention nationally is on Georgia and the runoff there, if you look at it, 24, she's in pretty good shape for reelection. Now it's not like she's Invulnerable. Um, you look at the Moss Marquette poll, she was kind of like dead even for favorable, unfavorable. Um, there is a cycle for senators that you have to start over six years. What Baldwin does really, really well though is she travels the state. Uh, every recess that they have, I get advisory of she's in Marinette or she's in Wasa or she's in Green Bay or pick your, your region of the state doing stuff. Now, Ron Johnson does that too, but Baldwin gets local media attention when she does it. Ron Johnson's not as good at that which means that once Baldwin fires up the machine and people start seeing her more regularly in ads and stuff, they go, oh,
1: Iron I remember tempo. her. Mm-hmm.
0: And they go, oh, that ad calls her this radical, you know, crazy leftist. Well, she was talking about pigs and cows when she was here a month ago. Like, It helps inoculate you somewhat, not totally, but somewhat from those attacks. She's a great fundraiser. And you look at the GOP field and go, okay, who's going to take the risk in what could be a difficult environment 24 if Trump's a nominee or even if he's not? To take on a well funded incumbent like Bond. I bet you money when you start the uh, cycle with the list of top 10 seats that fl- might flip, she'll be on there because it's Wisconsin. We're a purple state. Yep. But she's going to fall down that list, barring something crazy happening. And the caveat is if the bottom drops out for Democrats in 24, like with Joe, if Joe Biden's the nominee and something goes wrong, all bets are off. But in a 50 50 environment, presidential year, uh, she's a good bet to win reelection.
1: And mixed this week, uh, it seems like the rumors are possibly true. Uh, Jennifer, uh, or excuse me, Judge Jennifer Duro, who was in the limelight for the Daryl Brooks case. Um, now that that trial has uh, ended, it was very high profile. She's almost become, you know, a nationwide celebrity. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are, are talking about her entering the state Supreme Court race.
0: She's passed on beds of the court before, but in politics, timing is everything. And she's got this national attention because of the Daryl Brooks case. Can she turn that into a campaign for Supreme Court? Remember, there are already three other candidates in there. You have two left of center. Everett Mitchell, Janet Petrosiak. Uh, then you have Daniel Kelly as the right of center candidate, and she would be the second right of center candidate. Now, Kelly has spent this week and his supporters trying to send a message to Doro of you need to sit this one out. We And if you read, like, Kelly got the endorsement of uh, Justice Rebecca Bradley, who's very influential with uh, conservative donors when it comes to judicial campaigns. Uh, the endorsement of Walkershaw County uh, Sheriff Severson, a big figure in conservative legal community or law enforcement community, and every release was the same. Now isn't the time for an untested candidate. Um, there's this, uh, this pack that's tied to uh, Dick Uline, the mega donor of Republicans, vowing to spend millions of dollars to get the public about Daniel Kelly. Same message: not time for an unproven candidate. Now, Kelly was on the ballot once, lost. And lost, yep. Doro was on the ballot twice, but unopposed. So yes, you know, you have one person who's been through a campaign and won, appointed 11 by Scott Walker, 12 and 18 unopposed, hasn't really had a real campaign. The thing about- She
1: hasn't won a statewide election. Yes. Yeah.
0: But she also hasn't had big constitutional issues come through her court in Walkershaw County. Conservatives don't want to be haggadorned. They don't want to have another campaign where they back somebody who looks great on paper, but they find out when push comes to shove that there is a, not as a- Uh, Not as strong a constitutional conservative they want. They know in in Kelly what they have. Doro is a bit of a question mark.
1: Right, because he's already been on the court. They know where his ideology is at and typically where he votes. Uh, Falling this week, real quick, we only got a few seconds left. Ron Johnson is falling because he backed Rick Scott for the new Senate Majority Leader in Congress, and it failed, unfortunately. Uh, There's
0: no question he was going to fail. It was clear from the start, but he did it anyway. Which makes no sense to insiders. Which makes complete sense if you know Ron Johnson does not care what insiders <laughs> think. Right, right. Does not care what the eventual wisdom. Is. He's going to tell you what he thinks and does what he thinks is right. He doesn't like the way things work in Washington D.C. He wants a change. Uh, Mitch McConnell and are not good friends. You have the backstory of the 2016 campaign where McConnell abandoned him. Didn't happen this time though. The Senate leadership fund aligned with Mitch McConnell spent twice as much on Ron Johnson as the NRSC run by Rick Scott did this campaign. It is mind-boggling to have that much money spent for you by somebody and turn around and dump on them. But Johnson, because he's just going to be true. This is what Ron Johnson is. He is, doesn't care about niceties or traditions. Tell you what he thinks. This is what he think should be done, and that's just the way he is.
1: And he doesn't have to worry about anything, really, for the next six years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. That will do it for this week. I'm Emily Fannon.
0: And I'm J.R. Ross.
1: Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.
0: This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.